welcome to a brand new podcast from two of your favorite boys on the internet. Uh, this mm-hmm. is Region Free. I'm AJ, and I'm joined by the lovely Blake Hester. God, it's great to talk to you again after all these years. We haven't talked since our last podcast went off the air like a uh, a car on fire off, off the, the side rails, of a cliff. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know, no surviving members of that podcast. But it's great to finally see you again, AJ. How have you yeah, been you as well. It's, many been, years? it's been about two years-ish since mm-hmm. the last time I saw you, spoke to you. It seems like you've collected a lot more toys, little robots on your desk. Mm-hmm. But we don't have to get into that today because that's not what we're talking about. I actually have three on my desk right in front of me, but the rest are behind me. On my yeah, bookshelf. that was a really unfair thing for for me to say because it's like you do have very cool gundam toys That's i don't right. want to call them toys model kits they're not yeah that they're... take a lot of effort to build mm-hmm. put together paint construct and i've just got goofy ass like well i don't paint them over my... you don't i don't paint them no 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 the plastic comes pre-colored see like ah. you can paint them i'd like to start but that's just that's expensive and believe it or not i don't make much money at my salary job <laughs> at one of the biggest magazines on the planet look but that's neither here nor that's there neither here nor there uh we used to talk about video games very broadly in theory um mm-hmm. on a podcast much like this one that will never be named but blake hester and i have embarked on a project that is essentially bringing our our text message conversations to life here over <laughs> right. the internet that's sort of the the genesis of this podcast is you and i uh, well i would hope we wouldn't bring those text messages to life because it'd be episode zero these boys canceled yeah uh 50 of the things that we talk about roughly um which are films movies the cinematic arts um cool blu-rays that we've bought from strange and curious corners of the internet or the this world is, or the world because this is a podcast called region free mm-hmm. the name we decided on a year and a half ago and have been talking about starting for forever and now here we are episode zero that's great you got, you got anything to say about that <laughs> no, that's no, I think it like the the idea was because here's the thing: if there's one thing there's too much in the world, it's podcasts. That's right. If there's one thing in the podcast world there's too much of, it's video game and movie podcasts. But hundred percent, you know, like I've listened to your podcasts, not your podcasts, which I think I don't have any. But I, I mean, to the broader podcasting world, I've heard your podcasts. I've heard your your big pictures, if you will, and all great shows in and of themselves but we have no desire to make a a show about whatever newest blockbuster is coming out that world is covered but i feel like there is a bit of a glut not in not a complete lack of but a slight glut of um podcast talking about maybe off the beaten path movies you Mm -hmm. know like we we call it region free because often we have to we had to get a region free blu-ray player to buy the movies we like watching cult underground stuff like yeah so we thought you know we would throw our hats into the ring, make a show where we can talk about films that aren't your Avatar 2, the way of shape of water. The, the way of the way, shape of water. The shape of water to come. Yeah. But that movie's great. We all love it. But we don't need to talk about it on a podcast. However, The Adventures of Denshu Kozo, as is the, <laughs> the, the angle of this episode zero. You know, there's not too many pods out there talking about it. Or maybe the work of Shinya Tsukamoto at large yeah of course a couple but i think more voices talking about the stuff is always good 
I should have typed it into Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever my podcatcher of choice is, but I, I don't know how many uh, episodes about this little film have come out in a while. And sure. so I An think important thing to note is AJ and me both have actual recording microphones, which is a huge difference between us and other cult podcasts, which sound like they record <laughs> it on a Motorola experience. You know, you're, you, yeah. you want to watch a film that feels like a VHS tape you found in the woods some days and it has the exact same audio visual qualities. Yeah, and you want to listen to a podcast where two white guys discuss it, where they record it on a Motorola Razor. Exactly. (laughs) We have luckily invested in good microphones to talk about good movies. Yeah, that's right. I think, you know, I was sort of thinking about this a little bit earlier today, and it sort of is like almost... uh, you know, we it, it's as if we were, you know, programming our sort of own little film festival or yeah. as if we had an imaginary movie theater in our minds, films that we'd want to show or expose to people or elevate to another level of like, hey, why is this talked about more? Here we are talking about it. We're going to put in put in the work, do the effort and sort of, you know, just examine these little curios or fascinating films from all sorts of corners of the world. And so the idea is taking things that are traditionally underseen, under discussed uh not paid much attention to or sort of forgotten to time and and digging them up and examining them and and chatting about them uh here in the beautiful year of 2023 and for episode zero not quite a proper episode that's right we picked a short film for a short episode an introduction which is i you know what here's the thing i was thinking about is like i do feel like in 2023 there's not a ton you can really say about the the masterworks or the opuses of Shinya Tsukamoto, of course, the director of Tetsuo the Iron Man, his most defining work, not his first work, as we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I don't think there's too much to add in terms of the conversation around him as a director, except for Dinchu Kozo, which I feel like is secretly maybe his best movie. Despite kind of being, very cool. Yeah, despite being clearly the work of people who have no clue what they're doing from a filmmaking writing editing and every other artistic standpoint it still stands in my mind i think it's better than tetsuo which i think is a fine film in its own right but like there is something so unabashedly fun about this movie that even yeah. on a rewatch when i knew all the beats i was still hooting and dare i say aj hollering <laughs> did you let out one singular holler I was okay so like my partner was here uh while I was watching it I had headphones on so she couldn't hear what was happening also she doesn't speak Japanese and didn't have the subtitles in front of her so she couldn't see what was (laughs) happening but like I was just laughing intermittently and she'd be like what are you doing I'm "I'm enjoying cinema what are you doing I'm going on a little adventure with a man called Denshu Kozo I guess a boy really he's quite young and it well I've it's the electric pilot. I think Dinchu. So this is weird. I think Dinchu Kozo translates to electric rod or electric pylon, but the the title of the movie yeah, is like electric half, rod boy. Yeah, the, I don't know why the title of the movie is often like in half English, half Japanese. Because my version of it, which is the Arrow release, is the mm-hmm. Adventures of Dinchu Kozo. Yeah, I watched but, it online, and the the sort of title that i was given was denshu kozo no boken which i imagine is mm. the adventure of denshu kozo uh in the original japanese but you sure. you sort of hinted at it and it, it's laid there out in the title do you want to do you want to give us uh as succinctly as you can blake hester the sort of one sentence summary of what exactly this movie is about oh sure it's about a kid who has an electric rod growing out of his back and also the the owner of a fine time machine <laughs> who uh 
is bullied a lot and likes a girl who kicks the ass of the bullies, he then goes back, he goes forward in the future and fights some vampires. Mm -hmm. That's it. I mean, that's what you need. Yeah, 47 minutes roughly. uh, And I had read that little log line. um, And you, you sort of, you imagine as you would, a sort of three-act structure set out there from the premise of that film. I, I believe it's about 90 seconds in, he's traveling through time already. There's no <laughs> no 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 minute wasted in this in yeah. this beautiful film from Shinya Sukamoto. Uh yeah, the I mean, the thing I guess to start with, and this is something that translates through all of the stuff I've seen from him as well, but just the sheer impressiveness of how scrappy and resourceful you can tell it was to make this movie this is 87 right it's a few Mm. years before tetsuo and it's kind of the like second film he's ever worked on uh the the longest and one would presume Mm. highest budgeted thing but it's essentially him and some of his friends from what's it called kaiju productions right the kind of Mm. like theater troupe that they had organized Mm. in japan and their starting to just you know make these experimental little short films and it's very interesting to see all of the stuff here that he starts figuring out that is you know you could say perfected or sort of more realized in a film like tetsuo which is about 15 minutes longer but uh, kind of has has a much more traditional scale and scope to it and in all its considerations and, and cinematic trappings this one feels way more exciting and kind of not in its subject matter but just like you can feel the film being stitched together as you're watching through it and see the boundaries and creative limits that they're running up against and and trying to figure out and i love little objects like that that are just sort of real fascinations knowing where his career goes and kind of what he's going to make next yeah i mean i think it is like a crucial rewatch and at this point it's like a fairly accessible movie it's not hard to buy or watch but like i think it is a crucial rewatch with tetsuo watch tetsuo first then watch dinchu kozo because they're like directly analogous you know what i'm saying like yeah down to the cast is nearly the exact same like sukamoto's in it kate fujiwara is in it uh nobu kanaoka is in it and then uh tomorrowo taguchi is also in it um which is like a lot of the central cast in tetsuo um, but also a lot of the visual the visual flares of Tetsuo. You think about how they travel through the city streets and that, which is often like shot very like um stop, stop motion. motion. Kind There's of a lot of stop jerky, motion animation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like he is learning how to do it here so that he can do it with Tetsuo, which not the like most uh well crafted movie in the world and it impossibly impressive film, but like, you know. Yeah. It feels like he's kind of sanding off the the rough edges here and figuring out how to do what he maybe ultimately wants to make. And he's also, crucially, this is a a comedy. It's like screwball slapstick comedy, which feels like a good answer to Tetsuo, which is uh, super not funny. (laughs) It's super bleak. Uh, And... uh strikingly erotic which there are flashes of that in this film because at the end of the day it is sort of about you know mm-hmm. a little schoolboy trying to trying to impress his lady friend sure but and and you know vampires are sort of they show up somewhere in there and that that's an inherently sexual creature some people like to say you're sucking blood you're down seducing folks i wrote down twice miss fujiwara please dm me 
Yeah. So you well, this, know what what I was thinking about the sensuality of this film. This was filmed uh, at her apartment, so you know you know where it is. You can go find it. I she doesn't still live there. Kei Fujiwara has a really interesting history that, uh, as someone who has never met or talked to her, I assume she doesn't mind me telling to a podcast <laughs> listeners. Uh, apparently, she these days lives deep in the remote mountains of Nakano, running a uh, like cat cafe. Like she adopts cats and like runs a cat shelter and does her own um, her own theater troupe. They also do shows there, which is a uh, Organ Presents, I believe. Yeah. Uh, oh, Organ Vital is her yeah. theater troupe, but she's a... uh, she... good. She's off doing that, and so no longer lives in that apartment in Tokyo, unfortunately. But I recently heard if you can make it to her house in the mountains, she will lodge people that will come there to see productions that Organ Vital's doing, and. I don't think I can get Game Informer to fly me out to do that, but it might be a fun personal trip one day. Yeah, that would be very cool. I went to a cat cafe yesterday, actually, and because my my neighborhood Dunkin' Donuts was closed, and I expect there to be cats running all around that thing, and they had them locked up sure. behind a glass door in a different room, which is not traditionally what a cat cafe, I would assume, I to be. I have not gone to any animal cafe, but I would go to K. Fujiwara's cat cafe. Which, let's talk about this now. Um, obviously, she has a role in the film, and she has a very central role in Tetsuo. Um, not the first person to point this out, but similar to uh, the original Halloween, John Carpenter getting a lot of credit over Deborah Hill. Mm. Uh, Kei Fujiwara was like the the creative anchor to early Shinya Tsukamoto. Um, they ultimately had a falling out on Tetsuo. This is all well documented. You can look yeah. it up. But I do feel like after learning that about Tetsuo, you can watch um, Dinchu Kozo and be like, oh, this has her handprint all over it in terms of like special effects, the costume designs. Yeah. Obviously her fucking apartment being <laughs> in it. But like... Well, yeah, that's that's part of what feels so scrappy and probably inherently mm-hmm. collaborative in this thing where you get the sense that it is even more so than Tetsuo, just like, you know, a group of, I guess they're sort of fresh out of college students, but like just kind of... Shinya Tsukamoto was 27 when he made this. Yeah, I'm 27 right now. I've not made The Adventures of Denshu Kozo. He was significantly older than you might expect watching this um, when they actually got together and made it. Yeah. Some of the things, kind of with what you were talking about there as well, you can see some of the stylistic choices in this that start to get acclaimed and like are Mm -hmm. beloved in Tetsuo, where you might, you know, it sort of makes you take a step back and think like, how much of that was explicitly intentional by design? You know, now Mm Tetsuo is a film that's been dissected and sort of talked about and looked at under a number of angles and and the elements that are interesting and unique in it have been pulled apart for years and years and years but you know the the benefit of something more underseen like denshu kozo you watch and you see some of the things like the jittery you know stop motion sequences of people running across and these weird constructions of sort of cyberpunk Mm -hmm. transhumanity being imagined with all of these pillars and things coming out of them uh and it feels more I don't know what the word is here, but kind of like happenstance, almost as if it created out of necessity uh, and limitations of of budget and the reality mm-hmm. of the scope of this project versus you watch something like Tetsuo and you're like, the genius is here on yeah. the screen. All of that was clearly designed. It sort of, it enhances, like, you know, the next time I watch Tetsuo, I'm going to have this stuff in mind and mm-hmm. think about how that process sort of developed over time. But it also feels like a movie made by someone 
who has a command of filmmaking from an artistic sense, but not yet a technical sense. Mm. Because, like, this movie feels as rough as it is, like, so inventive. I think about there's, like, there's one shot in particular during one of the kind of showdowns between the vampires and Dinshu Kozo and his his uh his his sensei he finds this uh, older woman that kind of is teaching him how to fight back against these future vampires. There's a moment where there's kind of a close up shot on her, and one of the vampires rushes in, and it feels really like real. It feels like there's this interesting fluid animation to it, which is like weird for a movie that's filmed on probably a camera they found in the garbage. Yeah. And if you pause it and go frame by frame, you learn that they spliced in six frames of Tsukamoto's character in different parts of the screen to make it look like he's running in and circling around her. And it's literally, like, exactly six frames. Wow. And it, like, adds this entire, like... Honestly, if I am reductive about it, it's, like, an anime aesthetic to it. Mm -hmm. But, like, it adds this, like, whole level of motion to the scene that it wouldn't have if he just kind of showed up or materialized. And it's like, that's incredibly impressive and inventive for someone who is clearly not entirely sure what they're doing. You know, yeah. like it shows how smart he was before he actually knew how to do things. You know, at this time too, Sigmundo is probably, you know, the early part of a generation of filmmakers who kind of ha could have had the experience of watching anime at a younger age. And then that influences mm -hmm. their stylistic choices when they set out to make their own films. And so yeah. I think you see some of that in this, in those choices. And then again, just the way, like the way motion overall is conveyed through this entire film, the like very fast cutting style and a fast cutting style paired with very close intimate shots like there's never really more than maybe four people in a frame at any given moment in this but it's usually one or two people and the action is very closed in and you're getting this like very intimate sense of whether it's a, a fighting sequence or a dialogue sequence like people are mm -hmm. close together and maybe that's because the rooms that they were shooting in weren't too big and they didn't have elaborate sets but it's, it kind of captures yeah this just inherent uh frivility and, and frenetic sense of everything that's happening in this movie there's also like just even though uh a lot of the acting is pretty goofy oh you if, think if not outright terrible um there's definitely like a camaraderie feel in a lot of this movie that i don't know how true it is if any we've learned that uh in tetsuo this tetsuo destroyed a lot of these friendships through uh, I don't know what the, what the case might have been on Dinshu Kozo, but at least outwardly you feel like these are people who obviously were uh, producing and creating together. Dinshu Kozo was a, uh, I believe, a theater production mm -hmm. that Kaiju Theater was doing before they filmed it. Um, also, I do want to point out, I, I talked about this movie as if Tsukamoto had never picked up a camera before. I believe he used to shoot commercials before this. Yeah. I'm not going to teach you how to make a film by any means but it's also like he had some level of like knowledge of yeah and there's something things. even shorter that predates this uh sure the name of which i'm forgetting the phantom of regular size which was basically like they sort of went from filming that right into the filming of this mm -hmm. they were kind of a package deal and they'd actually be screened together because they were you know both or this was not long enough to like be screamed as its own film and so yeah. to get it you know, over the arbitrary hour limit or whatever to run in theaters, they they paired it with that, which I think is like 15, 20 minutes. Did you think this movie was particularly like funny 
and well written. It's not oh, particularly absolutely. well acted, but like there's some hilarious moments in this movie. Yeah, like uh our main our main character kind of looks like he's dressed like Shinji Ikari, uh, but he's got this very <laughs> yeah. suspicious and hard to ignore, you know, telephone pole sticking right out. It sort of juts out from between his shoulder blades, basically. And, you know, there's there's an entire comedic premise to be mined out of that, but this movie moves very quickly and, and gives you all you need to know up front which is like hey uh if you were a schoolboy who had a telephone pole jutting out from between your shoulders other teenagers would probably bully you and try to harass yeah. you and beat the shit out of you which is basically how the film opens i i wrote down in here that the pylon actor is a comedy legend <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he is right? so funny someone's holding that thing like swinging it around <laughs> knocking stuff over there's there's a moment that made me laugh so hard when he gets to the future and uh sensei the teacher he finds is like ah oh, electric pylon boy you must save the world and he doesn't even think his immediate response is goodbye <laughs> runs <laughs> tries to run off yeah it was so funny <sighs> like it really is that fast. The film opens. He's basically getting bullied. Uh, it's the character's name, May, right? Runs in, mm -hmm. saves him. Classic sort of be gone, bullies. Uh, you, you teen boys, you fear femininity and, and any, <laughs> you know, woman figure of authority. And that's basically <laughs> the setup. And then it's like, thank you for saving the bullies for, for beating me up because of my pylon jutting out of my back. Here's this time machine. I think you should have it. Oops. I accidentally got sucked into it, which is a classic <laughs> meet cute, like basic rom-com setup here. Well, she, he's also like, Hey, do you want to like, thanks for helping. You can use my time machine if you want. And she goes, that's, no. that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> if, Look, you know, you're walking your dog out in the park. You see someone in trouble. You help them out. They offer you to jump through their time machine. What are you saying? No, bro. I saw Denchukosa. It didn't work out too great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even that initial sequence of, of going through the time machine is, again, maybe two, three minutes into the movie. But there's this kind of spiraling sense as he's running through it. And he does basically get you know sucked in it's it's kind of meant to be a little jarring and a little intimidating and the camera work of just kind of like it feels like it's strapped to someone running through a street but it's still kind of it has that um you know have you, uh like the first evil dead or evil dead 2 where yeah. Raimi would like tape the camera to a shopping cart and then push it through the woods you know yeah. that kind of shakiness and 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 jitteriness to it uh and it's a good way when you're strapped for money and resources to convey someone traveling through uh the eons of time is just to do something with the camera that people maybe weren't used to seeing it seems like okay so effectively they're just doing stop motion with a lot of this stuff right yeah like i would imagine through the streets those like you can watch and see just the sheer distance they are traveling it must have taken God only knows how long to do all of these stop motion chase sequences because it's like it feels like a lot of them are like a mile long. Yeah, and just I, like shooting stop motion picture by picture that way, can't imagine. I've I've I watched the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio, which is like mm -hmm. a stop motion movie, um, and there's like a behind the scenes featurette on Netflix with that. That's maybe better than the movie itself, but it's Guillermo del Toro like walking around the workshop they used to film that, and he's like. Here's the Pinocchio dolls we had. This one's huge because when he's talking to a character who's smaller, like we had to make one that big. And yeah. you watch it and you're like, it's incredible and amazing that they did this. But like, my first question, 
how did you do this? My second question, what like why do we let people get away with this this madness? Because it looks cool and it's awesome, but like it is so time and labor intensive and even mm-hmm. here too, you know. They didn't have Netflix money when they were making this thing. They didn't have big what? old big old <laughs> <You don't> dolls. <laughs> what do you think the budget like like realistically? 1980 what? What was eighty seven? What do you maybe they're shooting it in eighty six? How much money do you think they put into this? Like, I would assume Tetsuo, everyone involved, like liquidated their bank accounts. Like, here's my life savings. Yeah. What do you think was put here? I imagine that this one's like, okay, you guys have an idea. Here's a hundred bucks to to a hundred dollars to two hundred fifty dollars. And I know it would be yen, and I know it would be about thirty years ago. So inflation the change of money whatever well, but like hold on but that was the that was the bubble economy oh okay so like two three million probably more yeah, so. probably, yeah. <laughs> that's what most theater troops were bringing in yeah oh. okay so you want to make a, a movie where a guy goes to the future and fights vampires <sighs> we're not really seeing the potential there we've got th- those are a dime a dozen if he had something, you know, a sort of menial object growing from his body that's never really explained and is only used as a, a convenience in the plot, I think. I think now I see, you know, I got dollar signs in my eyes. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing something yeah, there. It feels like a five million dollar movie for sure. But you, that's just factoring in. That's just factoring in the era and inflation. Yeah. I I don't know how the budget would compare to something like Tetsuo, and if there was more like you know sign off i don't know the entire kind of production timeline of that film but it it definitely feels like something that had a bit more support whether internally or externally i feel like a lot of the you know you could call them stunts vfx whatever you want to in this movie they look you know about as good as the stuff in tetsuo and so that's just the Mm -hmm. innate like talent and kind of resourcefulness we've been talking about in this crew like i think the thing that the only thing that doesn't look as as good as tetsuo is one the restoration on this film yeah it is probably just been too far lost at this point to ever get something that looks as good as the 4k cuts of tetsuo two also like it just feels like it's filmed on cheaper film stock but other than that like it does to your point feels like visually comparable in terms of the effects and stuff like that the you know the contrast the inkiness the visual style of like the black and white in tetsuo definitely helps that i feel like that Mm -hmm could have maybe worked here as well because it's not like i think the blood effects don't look particularly Mm -hmm. great there's a lot of them that are like you might have just smeared some ketchup there or done a nice little you know the splatters and everything look fine but once there's like a scene towards the end and again you're dealing with vampires there's a scene toward the end where someone has a lot of blood on their face at once and i'm like that you know the splatter the pattern there is way too cleanly kind of painted on for for it to ever feel organic does, maybe the ketchup does, was organic but the blood splatter does, not it does not stand up to other japanese splatter films of the time and certainly not after yeah but that's not what their priority was as clearly a, <laughs> as a scholar of japanese splatter this movie does not stand the test of time low tier effort uh there right. at the very that's least right. um mm-hmm. So what happens when our when our man gets to the future? You want to talk us through that? Fuck, why would you ask that? It's so hard to explain any <laughs> plot point in this film in a coherent or sensible way. Yeah, well this one way. this one was this one was your idea, so I'm you know, I'm I'm saddling you with that responsibility. You've That's seen true. it more times than I have. I mean, he gets to the future and essentially here's the thing. 
even if you're taking that drug from Limitless, following <laughs> the plot of this movie is impossible. But essentially what happens is he goes to the future and he meets a elderly woman, even though it's implied it's only 25 years in the future, but hmm. we'll get to that point later. Um, and at some point about a decade before this new point in time, vampires and this, uh, I guess it's kind of like a weapon that they have, Adam Jr. or Adam Special, something like that. Um, vampires have used this weapon they had to kind of take over the world, shroud the earth in darkness, and enslave humanity. And it's we start to learn that pylon boys are kind of these phenomena through history that show up when evil or maybe just specifically vampires need to be banished or relinquished from the world. Obviously, our, our, our pylon boy here, he is hesitant to help out. He immediately tries to run away, but he is he is a he's eventually persuaded to fight back against the evils of this new era he's in alongside his his elderly woman he has found. <laughs> There's an amazing training montage where like they're not even trying to make it look like they're doing real push-ups. It's very funny and very endearing. Um and then yeah, the the fight begins and that's basically the rest of the film and for film largely shot I think in one room and on maybe the sidewalk outside the 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 fights start to get kind of epic in proportions in this damn thing. They're pulling vampires in from from everywhere. I know you were afraid mm -hmm. to do that, but I think you did a wonderful job. You set us up Thank great. You. Yeah, you know, you. in in summarizing the plot of this 47 minute movie. I'm a film scholar. Thank which you. is which is half action probably. It I cannot explain if you haven't seen this movie how yeah. truly incomprehensible the story is it's all vibes like, based yeah it's like and it's not even a complicated story it's just that it's not told in a comprehensible way like the story is basically like boy goes to future fights vampires goes back but yeah. like just the character no motivations the relationships <laughs> all the nuance in there is definitely it's not even lost uh it's almost by design it's, not really there yeah, it just it feels like it's written by someone who doesn't know how to write in any language. <laughs> or so it feels it feels follow. like a movie that they showed up when they were shooting it and was like, you know what would be cool? What if there was like a training sequence? Or what if I mean, uh in that sense, you know, what does this have what is different about this film than Casablanca, which was largely created on the set day of? I was getting huge Casablanca vibes. Thank you for saying that. I was just like, you know what? This is exactly you know the same I film. Wanna, I don't want to get political here. Like, I think Cas I think Casablanca is a great film. I really right. like Casablanca. It's good. I have no plans on ever revisiting that movie for the rest you should. of my life. That's good. I think I'm going to watch Dinchu Kozo again with the Tom Mess commentary. But, like, am I going to watch Casablanca tonight? Fuck no. So <laughs> Get out of here, bogey. Yeah, Humphrey, more like... I don't know. Come on. Let's move on. No, take it home. Humphrey, more like bum-ass bum. free. There you go. <laughs> I was like, there's a very easy setup for you right there. He's rolling over in that fucking grave. Is he dead? He has to be. Has to be. That'd be crazy if he wasn't. Um, I'll Google it, and if I don't say anything, listeners just assume he's dead. Yeah, just assume. Like, it does move very quickly, this movie. And it is a little disorienting. Again probably by design because it is sort of doing i'll tell you one classic movie that's not casablanca that i did yep. sort of feel 
a kinship to this film with. That okay. would be a little motion picture called The Matrix, which, you know, oh, Shinya Tsukamoto, sure. obviously one of the godfathers, grandfathers. I'm not sure what the paternal relationship is there, but he's often attributed as an early pioneer of cyberpunk filmmaking, right? Mm. This one, there are some clear cyberpunk themes, though maybe less so than something like Tetsuo. I think the sort of groundwork for entering a new unfamiliar world that kind of has these wacky and weird technological advancements is is all is all in there. And I think the future yeah. that this film imagines, however limited and sort of small in scale it is, is something really fascinating and kind of like, yeah, you once you get there out of that initial tunnel of time travel as we've called it that really cool sequence we were describing with the the running and the the stop motion jittery photography it's definitely something where you land and it's not like we're gonna sit here and explain the rules for for a while and get you up to speed the viewer because it's like you know oh this new fantastical world we've imagined with all of these crazy rules it's basically uh as you know it has the brevity of the way you described it blake which is like hey welcome to the future shit's kind of fucked there are these vampires bad news uh good thing you've got the telephone pole growing out of you we kind of need that it's like very you know oh you're here now like we've been waiting for this movie to happen for 25 years you're here now let's let's have the rest of the movie Mm -hmm. and then it basically is just a uh testing ground for different visual experiments these six friends want to do because it feels like every scene is an experiment something different like a lot of the a lot of the outside scenes are like them experimenting with how to composite two different pictures on top of each other to you know make cityscapes that look like they're enshrouded in these like cotton ball clouds or um how to make stop motion Plato look like a character's melting yeah <laughs> um, uh like it, it quickly moves away from its plot for a while as like the uh the theater troupe here seems to be trying to pad out their resume with different visual experiments the, they all look great they all look great they all look really cool the the final boss of this movie sort of emerges from a very weird metal mm. cocoon if you want to describe it that way that was probably the effect in the movie where i sat up the most and i was like that is new and i've never seen anything that quite looks like that i also sat up in my chair and said miss fujiwara please be <laughs> i mean the love of my life divorced from that uh it was a very impressive and compelling one effect of, well no 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 no. one of the effects around that character that is amazing is their death scene oh yeah where you get kind of the silhouette of her body growing out of this mass of very sukamoto fujiwara style this mass of like a metal and machinery and like organic substance you basically see that completely fall apart and melt the human components kind of melt away and leave kind of it almost looks like um a metal spine is left in there like like a terminator yeah kind of it's an incredibly impressive moment of like stop motion and like practical special effects is like the death scenes that end up happening to these vampires and their their weapon here, which is Adam Special or Eve. I'm not really sure. Just take, <laughs> Something take like that. I've already invoked moment. Evangelion, so I can't do yeah. it again. Right, 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 right. The, the costumes, makeup, design of the vampires is all pretty neat. Like, the, the I, I was about to say the rest of the characters, but it's, like, basically the two school kids kind of, they look like school kids. And then there's, yeah. like, these very elaborate sort of robes with high collars and like 
complicated patterns on the vampires that gives them this this otherworldly sense that you know again we've talked about the probably very limited budget here you know what it is is it's kind of a mix of um not a visual k which is like a a fashion style born out of the 80s in japan which really looks like a lot of the like new wave goth scene that we had in america and europe you know think about like people you might picture at a joy division or or cure show (laughs) it really seems like they are adopting like 80 specifically obviously because this film was made in the 80s but like the 80 style of visual k and then just like being like, yeah, they, that's vampires now. Like it's a, it's kind of a fascinating touch that I really like. Like there's, there's a punk, one a punk or new wave aesthetic to this. Yeah, there's one character I wish I had a picture sort of pulled up, but is wearing this like floral sort of overcoat, and the like contrast of the pattern they're shooting against this kind of grayed out background backdrop whatever it was but you know they kind of are making things look like this hellish technoscape of the future and so in sort of one of the primary fight scenes towards the end of the movie it's like this this crowd of vampires again shot very tight like very intense corridors but Mm -hmm. this combat sequences and then yeah you've got these ornate sort of dark industrial costumes against this very like ambient backdrop which could feel like very simplified and sort of not compelling but when there's so much happening again you mentioned like in the foreground of these shots it's like probably by design but also maybe just a very cool trick of this movie that the like backdrops essentially fade away and like you're not even sure what's there yeah so we have our fight and eventually we have a lot of fighting yeah good prevails over evil there's some great moments as it always um, does and as it does in the real world true um we have a great moment where our elderly teacher uh a vampire is decapitated and she dribbles his head like a basketball and shoots it into a small waste bucket and uh but unfortunately through events that we all remember the teacher is injured which leads to a really good visual gag of the head popping back out and laughing at her yeah. from the waste bucket. I really like that. <laughs> she is injured and ultimately passes away. And Pylon Boy, in his grief, searches through this photo book she has to find out it is May, his love. The from twist of the years century. Ago. Absolutely were... astounding. He didn't recognize her. Not she was two women fucking... in this movie, just the one. <laughs> she she was the fucking spitting image of the character not 20 minutes before, just with some gray hair, but yep. somehow that went over his head. And then we learn her missing husband, who has gone to the f- further future to fight other vampires, is in fact him. Yeah. Which is a happy cool. ending at the end of the day. Yeah, well, and then at some point, another electric pylon guy shows up. He's kind of just chilling there for a while. And then um, the pylon boy creates his, his like ultimate attack it. is just like a huge flash of light, which, of course, like the vampires are uh, vampires. So it melts yeah. them and good triumphs evil. There we and go. then it sort of ends with him journeying through time once again, a sort of open ended. Do you think maybe they should pick this one up? 30-ish years later, return to the return to the well. He goes back in time yeah. to where May is, and he has that weird moment where he's like, like he's back, he makes it back to his time. I don't he doesn't go back to the future, does he? No, 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 no. But like he you sort of get a similar sequence where he's oh, he's yeah. being pulled through and yeah, lands. Okay. Yeah. His daughter does show up briefly. 
and says that she's <laughs> yeah, fighting a... someone else. But it seems, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's an incredibly nihilistic film about war and the way humans perpetuate endless cycles of war. Because apparently further into the future, his daughter is still fighting someone. Yeah. So it goes. Um, nihilistic, you... but, but uh, what's the word? Like very very jovial about it very sort of like hey you know war is gonna mm -hmm. go on forever let's have some fun while we're here look and here's the thing they were right i don't disagree i mean oh well japan hasn't been involved in any wars in the last like 70 years right uh, unless i'm forgetting a big one now i can't imagine uh you know um uh, uh, what did you think overall incredibly fun like i think you know our discussion is obviously centered around the very cool camera work costumes mm -hmm. effects that are happening here that's that's the most compelling bit of this film for sure sure like sukamoto is such an interesting guy because again there's been so much kind of discussion and dissection of what makes his movies work and what makes them so singular his influences are clear on a lot of you know, genre work and themes that people have pointed back to that intersection of like, you know, that cyberpunk theme of, of us modifying our bodies. And at what point you stop becoming human and what part you start becoming a machine, the inherent sexuality of a film like Tetsuo. I don't think like his visual styles are uh, often imitated or even attempted to be replicated because they are so, I don't want to say like he's the only one who can do that, but if you did some of the effects that you'd see in a film like Tetsuo, you'd be like, right, okay, I know where that came from. And you know, so, I, I I agree with you. I do often wonder, like, Sukamoto's a director that's been working now for thirty years professionally, mm -hmm. no, maybe forty years professionally, yeah. um, and it often does feel like his style, and I'm not trying to like dog on you, is boiled down to one one or two movies not including Digicozo. it's like tetsuo and tetsuo 2 tetsuo yeah. 2 bad bad movie don't watch it but i actually think like he is a much more interesting director beyond like his early experimentations in cyberpunk like he's always been kind of interested in like the body's place within cities and industry and how those things like affect each other but in terms of like the experiments we see in Tetsuo, a little bit in Dinchu Kozo, it feels like those were often left in the 80s. Um, yeah, I, I haven't watched anything of his past Tetsuo 2. Um, yeah, okay. So he ends up getting into some very different places in terms of like contemporary living in Japan, kind of like romance in Japan, or kind of just like work-life culture in Japan, through a lot more grounded films, like a, um, a good one is... Um, Tokyo Fist, which I think maybe he did right after Tetsuo, hmm. um, often pointed to as one of his best films. Bullet Ballet gets into yeah, that's the one like, that I want to check out. Yeah, that explores like depression in Japan in some really interesting ways. Um, and then he's since gone on to do like you know feudal Japan films and like, and they always hmm. have a little bit of that flair. Like he'll he'll have like stop motion pop up occasionally in those movies. But I do think a lot of this style of Sukumoto film was actually left pretty early in his career beyond like broad themes of like yeah humans and cities it, it's easy to imagine something like Denshu Kozo if there was more 
you know, like support behind mm-hmm. it. Or even if this idea was a smaller short film that then grew into something bigger, like mm-hmm. the holes that could kind of be filled in there with like setting up maybe a bit more backstory of mm-hmm. how this character fits into the world. And, you know, like, you know, the school life or whatever is very economical by design and sort of by the nature of the thing, the parts in yeah. Tetsuo that are so fascinating compared to that too are like the areas where they were maybe allowed to indulge some of that stuff a little bit more mm-hmm. and so i'm thinking of sequences like the like subway station in tetsuo which is like one of the standout moments for sure where you have just like more people and more mm-hmm. i don't want to call it like explicit commentary on society but you're dealing with that a little bit more um and it's not just it for for its for its reputation and the way it is talked about it is not just this psychedelic experiment it is very much like a focused film with a thing to say and a lot of ideas that it's exploring uh and so comparing that to this one you know it's like it's all there already basically Mm -hmm. just you can feel the constraints of of making this one pushing up against that so let's let's tell people where to watch this movie i i watched this in the arrow box set that they put out of uh, Sukumoto's work, specifically the work Sukumoto wrote and directed, so mm-hmm. it doesn't have stuff like Gemini or Hiroko the Goblin, um, but it has uh, two of the Tetsuo movies, Denshu Kozo, Tokyo Fist, Killing, Kotoko. It has a bunch of them. Um, that's in this, but that's also expensive, maybe hard to get, maybe currently out of print. It's, so, on, it's AJ, At the time of recording, it's on sale on the Arrow website, but oh, I doubt it will be it when you're listening to it, but it's a good... Pick it up. You might be able Pick to it get up. it at, at Barnes & Noble. It's in my car right now. I'm telling you that. Pick it up. Where'd yeah. you watch it, though? Because you maybe t- have a more accessible yeah. link to it. Well, I typed I typed it into Google, and I, I looked through some of the video tabs. Because I'm like, it is a 45-minute short film. It's probably on Vimeo or something like that somewhere. Uh, it's, it's around on some Plex servers, if you can find it, I will say. Or, you know, maybe uh, a website like vkvideo.com backslash... And then pretend I'm saying a bunch of letters and numbers in there. But like it is, it's not, and I think this is great. It is not sort of a lost film, lost time. It is pretty accessible like we talked about. And it's absolutely worth watching if you have or have not seen Tetsuo, I would say. Like they make a solid double feature that's mm-hmm. maybe an hour and a half of your time. Eh, hour 45 because Tetsuo is like 65 minutes, right? Um, Historically, uh, this is... This is a director that respects his viewer. Most of <laughs> Sukamoto's yeah. films, 90 minutes at max. And it here's is the thing. Stuffed. Like, you know, this <laughs> yeah. is 47 minutes. I, like, was getting up from the very chair I'm recording this podcast. And I was like, that was a movie-ass movie I just watched. Let me log that on Letterboxd. I'm, a. Uh, as we wrap up, a couple of things I'd like to do. First off, soundtrack in this is... <laughs> Thank you. The music is so good. There's, I don't think it's the full soundtrack, but at least two of the songs, the credits song specifically, and there's one earlier, is by the band Bachi Kaburi. Okay. As we would say in America, Bachi Kaburi, which is, uh, God, his, this name always, like, Tomorrowo Taguchi, who is one of the vampires in this movie, also the lead in Tetsuo. It's his band. Um, That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, that's, they're really easy to find on YouTube. I don't know that they're on Spotify. If you also just Google Dinchu Kozo credit song, it'll pop up. Yeah. It'll show you how to type their name and help you like Google it. And- you talked a little bit about the humor earlier, too. Mm-hmm. There's a great moment where like the music is sort of used. There's like a very good yeah. shift in the song that's playing. And you're like, okay, 
this is not yeah. all sort of serious like doom and gloom vampire cyberpunk yeah. future they know maybe that the costuming and the sort of uh setup of this entire film is a little whimsical and they're having yeah. fun with it <laughs> yeah if you want to find the credit song is like so good and i think a standout it's uh their song only you might take a little creative googling to get it to show up if you're, i think denshu kozo speak. credit song is the the path there, okay the gotcha. golden cool. way <laughs> second second thing aj let's let's recommend two movies based on this for people to watch they know how to watch this one okay what are what are some good movies to watch that aren't just tetsuo the iron man what are some good movies to watch like related to this one sort of in the related, in the tangentially thematically whatever comes to mind well i mean you know personally the route i'm going down is i want to broaden my sukimoto horizons and so i'm probably going to chase down something like uh tokyo fist or bullet ballet probably bullet ballet i think is my next step what do you think bullet ballet is awesome i think it's my favorite that isn't favorite sukimoto that isn't dinchu kozo it's very much his take on um taxi driver yeah honestly <laughs> i mean i read uh, the i read like the premise um which is guy it, kind of investigates the the situation of the world after his girlfriend commits suicide and kind of goes well, on this yeah. like spiral <laughs> he the the like early core conceit is like guns are very hard to get in japan and yeah. he just wants to kill himself and so you follow him for the first parts of the movie as he's just trying to figure out how to get a gun which is a wild um wild little narrative idea but yeah, i think it's also great. it's also on the box set but i'd love to see mm -hmm. phantom of regular size which is the one thing mm. he sort of made that predates this it's not on the box set it's not no 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 i've okay. never seen that one i would love to track whatever that thing is down and find it because yeah. like it was it was really a revelation to watch this with the foreknowledge of where his career goes and what he mm -hmm. starts doing like immediately after this and just see so much of it already here it was like really just cool to witness that one one movie i'm gonna recommend here my one my first of two is uh organ by k fujiwara yeah pretty pretty easy pretty accessible to watch it is um where her career goes she only directed two films organ and id organ is her first one it's a it's a whole mess <laughs> it's viscerally disgusting doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense, but I think I, I mentioned earlier how I felt like Tsukamoto kind of left a lot of this visual style he had with Tetsuo, the first one specifically. And I think that's because a lot of it was actually Fujiwara. So yeah. when you watch something like Oregon, you start to see whose fascination or whose, right? <laughs> yeah, her like you start to be like, oh, the obsession with the flesh and kind of mutilating it or disfiguring it mm. in very interesting ways. Organ is obsessed with that, not in terms of like metal and flesh, but just like organic matter. What can, what can we do with a thing mm -hmm. coming out of a body, crawling out from under some yeah. skin, kind of this gooey, fleshy, <laughs> all the yeah. liquid bits, you know? <laughs> exactly. It is a wet film. Man. Oh, okay. Oh, Hell it's yeah. Cool. I, I think. Um, Maybe it was Synapse put it out. Like, it, it's easy to get. I bought okay, it for nice. like $10, $15 or something yeah. at uh, Grindhouse. You got a second one? I got a second one. No, I think more more Tsukamoto films. Okay. Yeah. That's my I, resolution. I'll, just, I'll, I'll agree. Bullet Ballet. To see where where that man's career is going to go. Bullet Ballet. Um, I think it was two movies after Tetsuo. And 
I, I feel yeah, like, like there's a followed there's a, almost a decade. It feels, mm-hmm. it feels like he also he followed the thread set by like Tokyo Fist and Bullet Ballet for a lot of his later career. Like Kodako kind of deals with similar weird anxieties and mental health stuff. Um, hmm. Great director, great movies. Yeah, cool guy. I would love to be friends with him. Cool guy, Sukumoto. Also an actor. Yeah. He's in uh, Ichi the Killer as Gigi. Has the famous scene where he pulls off his jacket and he's just a buff dude. He's also in... Um, and it's clearly him. He got into shape for that. That's right. He's also in uh, Shin Godzilla. Oh my um, God. Who is he in that? I've never seen like, Shin Godzilla. So oh my God. Know. Okay. Well, we're we're going to talk about that on this eventually, I'm it's sure. It's weird. You, it's hard. To, it's like impossible to stream with the original dialogue. Yeah. There's English like subtitles. one... There's one Blu-ray that they yeah. published whenever that came out, but I should just buy that. Uh, you should probably yeah, he's, find it. He's, he's in that. He's in a bunch of other stuff. He, that's I like ask who I... he is in that movie. He's probably a bureaucrat because the entire yeah. cast of that movie is bureaucrats. So he's probably one of the guys in suits. If you ask, if I had to guess, the majority of that man's livelihood actually comes from acting hmm. because he's like maintained. He'll like take director for higher roles but like when it comes to the movies you're thinking of that he did those are movies he like self-funds himself and writes yeah. and directs <laughs> and so i feel like the there's not a lot of, of you his... know not a lot of big government funding for the sticky uh yeah, cyberpunk it's... flesh movies he wants to make so he pops up as an actor more i think because he's uh trying to get that daytime drama money <laughs> to yeah. uh, fund his weirdo freak movies <laughs> the uh sukumoto after dark Dude, that man's a little That's where freak. He, if you ask a me. little freak. Yeah. How um, tall do you think he is? I'm, I'm sure the answer is out there, but yeah, I'm not. He, I would. I wouldn't. I'm gonna I, guess he's like Jacob Geller height, <laughs> whatever that means to the listeners. Yeah, at home. putting him on blast in episode zero. I almost said one, but it's not. Uh, That's right. Much like the adventures of Denshu Kozo, thank you for joining us for this. You know, little experiment, first creative foray into a brand new podcasting effort here. Um, every week, subsequently, from here on out, we're going to be picking another movie sort of similar like this. Probably one you haven't seen, maybe haven't heard of, but with something we find really interesting and creative that we want to dig into and discuss and talk about. Um, Blake, would you like to let people know what they can look forward to in the future? The Horrors of Malformed Men. One of the hardest titles a movie has ever had crazy cool setup crazy cool premise i have not watched it at the time of recording that's another thing we want to do we sort of want to bounce back and forth between movies we haven't seen one of us hasn't seen one that one of us really likes something Mm -hmm. fascinating so you know come back each week i'm sort of imagining this as a growing library of movies you the little viewer can co pick through comb through and be like that was a fun one i want to dig into that a little bit more maybe just listen to us chatting about the movies we think are cool and and hopefully broaden your own horizons because that's that's the goal of what we're doing here at the end of the day we've spent a lot of time and money collecting these blu-rays reading through the knowledge of these hard to find and and hard to see films and hopefully you know what we want to do is share that with you so if you're hearing this thank you for listening uh and thank you for making it to the end of episode zero of region free Oh, yeah. I don't have to be, but you know. <laughs> <laughs>